the peak of his creation, the symbol of humanity, the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. And his immaculate progeny of the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them. Especially the leader of our time, the awaited savior, Al-Imam Al-Mahdi, Ajjalallahu Ta'ala Farajah. May Allah hasten his reappearance and make us all amongst his sincere and dedicated servants. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states in the Holy Quran in Surah Al-A'raf, verses 175 to 176. Allah commands the Prophet in these verses to deliver to us the story of an interesting figure who collapsed and fell down. Allah states in the Holy Quran, Allah says, Ya Rasulullah, O Prophet, tell your people about the story of the one whom we gave our ayat. We blessed this person with signs, with blessings, divine blessings. This verse is about a man from Bani Israel called Bal'am ibn Ba'ura. He was a contemporary of Prophet Musa And he was gifted by God such that his dua would be accepted. One narration tells us he had a part of Ismillah al-A'zam, the great name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He had some access to it. He stood out. Prophet Musa salam treated him with so much respect. Sometimes someone wanted a dua, Prophet Musa would refer that person to this man, Bal'am ibn Ba'ura. He had such an impeccable standing in the community. But Allah decided to try him. Because of his social standing, Fir'aun, the Pharaoh, and his group enticed him. Don't stand with Musa. What does Musa have? He's poor. He has no army. He has no government. He's, he looks like a shepherd. Do you really want to be on his side? Come to our side. We'll give you power. We'll equip you with whatever you want. Allah had given him those signs, but he failed his test. minha. Allah took those signs from him. Shaytan managed to catch up with him. And he became amongst those who strayed, who were misguided. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, وَلَوْ شِئْنَا لَرَفَعْنَاهُ بِهَا Allah says, if I want, I could have prevented this. But Allah wants to give us free will. You make that choice. We're not robots that God controls. Allah gave him the opportunity. He spoiled that opportunity. He clung to this world, to this earth. He followed his desires. That is why he failed his test. Allah commands the Prophet in the Qur'an to tell us about the story. Because this is the story of those who fall, those who collapse, those who fail their test. They fail their test because they follow their desires. Their desires, their temptations control them. 
Hence, in a very powerful hadith by Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, he states, Imam Ali is brave, courageous, but there's something that scares Imam Ali. He says, you know what my greatest fear is for you people? I fear two things. The first one, following your desires. The second one, procrastinating, having false long hopes. It's okay, when I'm 70, I'll repent. When I'm 70, I'll go to Hajj. I'll start praying, I'll be good to my neighbors, to my relatives. I'll wear the hijab, I'll do this, I'll do that. The imam says, these two are dangerous. I fear them for you, O people. Following your desires is going to stop you from arriving at the truth. And as for having false, long hopes, delaying goodness, it will make you forget the akhirah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the story of Bal'am ibn Ba'ura to awaken us. To remind us, don't ever allow yourself to follow your desires. This is why the people failed during the era of Imam Hussein salam. You think they did not know who Imam Hussein was? They had any doubts? You think they thought he was a bad person? He had committed a crime? He told them on the day of Ashura, Why are you fighting me? Did I kill anyone? Did I commit any crime? Tell me, what's my crime? The reason why they failed their test is because they followed their desires. This dunya, this materialistic world captivated their hearts. You know what Ibn Ziyad was doing with some people to get them to go and fight Imam Hussein? He managed to bring more than 30,000 people to Karbala. Ibn Ziyad is the governor of Kufa on behalf of Yazid who was in Damascus. How did he bring so many people? One method that he used was to lure them through money. Ibn Ziyad had promised some people 30,000 dinars. A dinar is one golden coin. At that time you could buy a sheep with it. Just for you to know the purchasing power of it. He was promising 30,000 golden coins for some people who would go and fight Imam Hussein. In today's monetary standards, that's about $6 million. What are you willing to do for $6 million? Believe me, there are some people, they sell their deen, religion, morality, ethics, anything for $6 million. That's how he got some people to go to Karbala. I know it's wrong to go, but hey, $6 million is a lot of money. I can't say no to that. A brother once came to me. He told me, Sayyid, I have this opportunity to start a company. There's a business partner to grow recreational marijuana. There's $10 million in it. I can't say no. Help me. Say something to me. It's hard. Saying no to $10 million you have to be almost angelic to say no to that. But you can. The people at the time of Imam Hussein, they followed their desire. I can't, sorry. I'm going to go in hopes of getting 30,000 golden coins. They followed their desires. Imam Ali says, this is my greatest fear. 
When you start following your desires, and your desires dictate to you what to do. Today, one of the challenges we experience in modern society is what is called hedonism. I follow my pleasures in society. Teaches me to follow my passions. Go and enjoy yourself. This is one of the challenges of modern society. This has existed throughout history. But it has become more and more prevalent, my dear brothers and sisters. Follow your pleasures. Follow your passions. According to a study that interviewed 1,000 small business owners in the U.S., they asked them, what's your dream? What is the American dream? How do you define it? 49% said, to follow my passion. In this dunya, we only come once. Is it my goal to follow my passion? Or to follow what's right? What my creator wants from me? But society teaches you today, go and follow your passions. What is your passion? Follow it. Enjoy yourself. Anything that you feel is right, pursue it. Gratify yourself. And we have this culture of instant gratification. We want everything instantly. There's no patience anymore. I want something, I crave something, I want it with the touch of a button. If you remember, Amazon Prime years ago, there was two-day shipping. And then, mashallah, it progressed to one-day shipping. And now there is same-day shipping. And then now there's two types of same-day shipping. There's 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then follow what we feel is right. Society today is teaching you follow your feelings. This feels right, follow it. My dear brothers and sisters, one of the most deceptive things in your life is your feelings. They're very deceptive. We don't follow Islam and Quran and Ahlul Bayt because it feels right. Never. We follow Islam and Quran because intellectually and rationally we know it's right. Not because it feels right. Feelings deceive us. Ask some guys who are speeding on the freeway, they're going 90, 100. They'll tell you, feels right. It's okay. Feels actually very good. Feels good to pass a red light. I enjoy it. It's thrilling. Never allow your feelings to dictate to you what's right and what's wrong. You need to intellectually know with wisdom whether something is right or wrong. Not a feeling. The one who worships an idol, he tells you it feels good. Every religion out there is going to tell you it feels good to follow my religion. I don't follow Islam because it feels good. I follow it because I know rationally that it's good for me, that it's true, that it's authentic. But we live in a society in which we are driven by feelings. And believe me, doing good things sometimes may not feel good. A surgeon who has to cut up a body in the surgery room doesn't feel good. I know a heart surgeon in New York. He tells me, Sayyid, I have extreme stress Every time I go to the operating room, well-achieved surgeon doctor. He's globally known. I told him, why? You've been doing this for 20, 30 years. He told me, say it, I'm cutting up a body. It's not easy. What if the person dies? It doesn't feel good for this surgeon to cut up that body and operate on it. But what he's doing is good. Taking your exams, your MCAT, your bar exam, your NAPLEX, it feels terrible. Just see people who have to study for these exams. 
They go through the greatest stress of their lives. But what they're doing is good. Don't ever be deceived by your feelings. This feels good and that doesn't feel good. Always intellectually, rationally know why this is wrong, why this is right, why this is haq, why this is batil. This is one of the challenges that we live in this era, my dear brothers and sisters. And this brings me to the very important discussion of tonight. It's a very sensitive discussion. But it is a discussion that I must have with you, my dear brothers and sisters. And I would not be fulfilling my responsibility as a scholar if I would not have this discussion with you. Today, in our society, there is immense pressure on us to accept the LGBTQ community, to accept gender fluidity. There is immense pressure on our children at schools to accept this. This feels right. Accept it. Let people be free. In the name, I've di in the name of diversity, I have to embrace and support all of them. And if I don't support that, there are consequences for me in society. Just last month, a mother in Canada, the school had imposed on all school children to wear the gay flag. That child refused. He said, no. I love my classmates. They're humans. I'll work with them. I'll study with them. I'll respect them. But I'm not going to align with this. You know what they tried to do? They tried to expel him from school. Number two, they called the social services on the mother. Because this child refused that. There's immense pressure on us. We need to know how to navigate this. How do we deal with this very important challenge? What are our Islamic values, our duty before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I understand this is a sensitive discussion, but it is one that we must have. I know some parents are thinking right now, Sayyid, our children are here. Why are you talking about this? My dear brothers and sisters, if today you, we, don't talk about this, the schools are already talking to your children about this. Disney is already talking to your kids about that. And then, when it's too late, we want to wake up and take action. We must have a civilized conversation about this. Know our Islamic values. Where is the moral compass? So in our discussion tonight, we will examine Islam's stance very briefly on homosexuality and gender fluidity and gender reassignment. Let's begin with the first point here. My dear brothers and sisters, when it comes to your moral compass, no society, no government teaches us what's moral and not moral. Yes, I respect the government when it gives me laws to organize my life, to be a good citizen. When the government tells me stop at the red light, I'll stop. When the government tells me you're building this building, it has to be up to code. I accept that. Be a good citizen. Don't cause trouble with the law, with law enforcement. But no government has the right to teach you what's moral and not moral. There's only one source in this universe that teaches you what's right and what's wrong. And that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's your creator. That's the almighty God. We take our moral compass not from society. Not from people who change their minds every day. Not from lobbies and politics. We take them directly from Allah. 
The government does not teach me what's moral and not moral. Inshallah, if all the countries of the world, they tell you adultery is okay, it's moral. Drinking is okay, it's moral, fine, it's legal. Do it, support it. You can never force me to accept that. Yes, you want to go and drink. I'll pray that you don't. Inshallah, you repent. But that's fine. It's a free country. Go do, and, go do whatever you want. But do not impose on me and my children to accept drinking. Every single year, 90,000 Americans die because of drinking. Half of them involved in accidents that had to do with drunk driving. And the other half, diseases or other crimes that were committed while a person is drunk. Islam says no to that. That's my moral code. I will not let government or society to change my perception of that. Salat al-Rahim, having good ties with my family. Allah teaches me what's right and what's wrong. Not government, not society, not anyone else. You know, one of the funniest headlines sometimes I'll read when I'm looking through the headlines for some news. It's very funny, but it disappoints me at the same time. Headlines like this. Teen cheered for kicking her mom out of the house. How many times have you seen a headline like that? You want to go and cheer that? It's a free society. Go and cheer that all you want. I pray for your guidance. Don't. But it's your freedom. It's your choice. But do not come and impose those values on me and my children. You have no right. As a citizen, I have the right to determine my moral code. No one is allowed to dictate that on me. This is my right. This is my freedom. You practice what you want. But do not force me to embrace and align with something that is not moral, that is questionable. One area that is not moral according to all the monotheistic religions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Abrahamic faiths, is the practice of homosexuality. I'm talking about the practice here. I'm very careful with my words. The practice is not a practice that is moral. This is the stance of the religions of God. I would be not honest with you if I would tell you anything else about this, my dear brothers and sisters. In the eyes of God, this is a sin. Like other sins, it's a sin. I cannot align myself with a sin. I cannot align myself with something that is not moral. Allah has not authorized that. Prophet Nuh never authorized this. Prophet Isa never authorized this. Prophet Ibrahim and Musa never authorized that. Who am I to come and embrace it and authorize it? This is the stance of Islam. This act is not a moral act. This lifestyle is not a moral lifestyle. Now does it mean I dehumanize these people? Of course not. They're citizens, they live in the same society, we coexist. But I do not embrace that identity. Imagine if someone develops an identity around drinking, marijuana. Let's say a group of people, they develop an identity around marijuana. That's what defines them. What, are you forced now to accept them in the name of diversity? Where has the world come to? I have my moral grounds. Do not force me to change my moral grounds. Yes, I don't dehumanize you. I don't incite phylus against you. In humanity, you're my fellow counterpart in humanity. You're a fellow citizen, that's fine. We live together in one society. I don't deny you basic human services, but I do not support such a lifestyle. I do not support such an act. 
Allah has not authorized me to do so. That is my moral compass. But sure, I'll give you human services. You're a human at the end of the day. I disagree with the act, but I don't dehumanize you. To give you an example of how this works, because many people ask. I'll give you the classic cake example. Let's say you have a cake shop, a bakery, you sell cakes. Someone appears at your shop, and this person is buying a cake from you. Now you know that this person is buying this cake to take it to a gay wedding. You know that. Islamically, I'm asking you this question right now. Islamically, are you allowed to sell them this cake? What do you say? My response will surprise you. Yes, you are allowed to sell that cake. Why? I'm selling a halal cake. What this person does with the cake is not my business. And Imam al-Sadiq was asked about a similar case. A person, a vendor, a grocery store owner, he said to Imam al-Sadiq I sell grapes. I know that this person will come and buy grapes from me. Then he will go and make wine from these grapes. Can I sell these grapes to this person? What did your imam say? He said, yes, you can sell it. You're selling a halal product. What that person does with that product is not my business. Yes, I guide this person. I can give them recommendations. But it's not my business what this person does with the product. My job is halal, it's okay. That's case number one. Case number two. This person comes and he tells you, make me a gay cake. What do I mean by that? Put two figures of men on the cake. Make it for me. Islamically, are you allowed to give this person such a cake? No. Why not? What's the difference? Because now you're endorsing it and supporting it. I, as a servant of Allah, do not have the right to endorse something that God has not authorized. Sorry. I can't give you that cake. I'm going to sue you. Do whatever you want, Habibi. I'm not going to give you that cake. I'm not obligated to support that. This is how you make the distinction. It's very simple. Islam is not a complicated religion. Live with people. Be peaceful. Be a source of guidance. Have good akhlaq with everyone. But don't support something that is not moral. And don't let anyone force you to accept it or force your children to accept it. We have a responsibility. So the act of homosexuality is sinful. Period. What about the presence of those feelings and desires. That's not something we condemn. If a person has those desires, as long as they don't act upon them, they're not doing anything wrong. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not hold them accountable. It's a trial. A person will tell you, but do you want me to live 10, 20, 30 years and not act upon my desires? That's your trial in life. Haven't you seen people born with disabilities? I know people born with disabilities, their whole life they struggle. That's their trial every single day Allah is elevating them. On the day of judgment, when we look at some of these disabled people, we'll see them like a star above us. Because of what they went through in this life, and because of the grand compensation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's your trial. Don't act upon it. As long as you don't act upon those immoral desires, you're respected. It's not a sin. You're not doing anything wrong. That's your trial. Accept the trial and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help you. And we're there to help them. That's okay. 
We can have a conversation with them and seek steps to help them to overcome these desires. If they cannot overcome them, resist them. That's your test in dunya. From day one, Allah told you in this world, I didn't bring you here in this dunya for you to enjoy yourself, for you to follow your desires. Allah says, I brought you in this dunya for a purpose. It's a trial. It's a trial. Work on higher goals. Achieve spirituality. Be prepared for the akhirah. That's your goal. Worship Allah. Don't get caught up with your desires. Why does Allah mention this story in the Holy Quran of Bal'am ibn Ba'ura? He was a scholar whose dua was accepted, but he fell. Why? He followed his desire. This is the point on homosexuality and the practice of it. Let's now move to the second point, which is gender fluidity. Today there's mass confusion about gender. Today there are many people and they have powerful lobbies supporting them. They're telling you gender is not binary. Man, woman, boy, girl. Society invented that. It's socially constructed. It's a social construct. What if you look at your DNA, you look at your genes, does it tell you you're a boy or a girl, man or a woman? Yeah, it tells you your sex, male or female, XX, XY. But it doesn't tell you you're a man or a woman. That's something you're, you can choose. You feel trapped in the wrong body? Go. Go and switch your gender. That's fine. That's okay. This is all socially constructed. Society has come up with this binary. Your genes don't have this binary. It's all socially constructed. So I can challenge that. I can be free. I can choose whatever gender I want. And I will impose it on your children to choose whatever they want. This is the challenge that we're experiencing today. We have a problem with that, my dear brothers and sisters. We challenge that. And we're having a civilized discussion. We're not here to fight. And this is not about politics. My discussion today has nothing to do with politics, which party says what. This is a moral discussion. Imam Hussein is the source of morality. We gather here to learn from the Imam what to do. If there's something wrong, how to appropriately challenge it. We challenge this. In order for us to better understand why this is not an acceptable argument, apply the same idea to race and ethnicity. Someone who's white or black, Asian, Indian, South American, whatever they are. Is it written in their genes that you're white or black? Show me one scientist who will take your DNA and tell you your DNA says you're white. It says you're African American. Yes, your DNA will tell you who you're related to, which geography you came from. But it doesn't tell you your race. Which DNA tells you you are black or white? Or you're Latino. It's also socially constructed. But does it mean that now that it is socially constructed, I do away with it? And I disrupt the entire system and the world order? How absurd would that be if you could choose your race? Imagine I wake up in the morning, you know what, today I feel like I'm white. No, today I feel like I'm Latino. I feel like I'm black. You see the absurdity of such an argument? Apply the same to the gender discussion. Imagine if you go to U of M and Arbor, you're trying to apply. When there was affirmative action, I know the Supreme Court took it down. But when there was affirmative action, they had a program where they wanted to empower minorities and races that were basically oppressed. 
over centuries, right? So let's say you go and you apply, and you write on the application, I'm African American. I'm black. And then you go to the, you know, admissions office. They're like, um, excuse me, you know, what are you doing here? I thought you were African American. Yeah, I feel like I'm African American. Who are you to stop me? Stop me, I'm going to sue you. If we want to play like this, the world is going to fall apart, Habibi. You want to play that like that in your house? It's a free country. Don't impose it on me. Don't impose it on my kids. Don't confuse my children and confuse my sphere. Do whatever you want. I pray for your guidance. I'll help you. May Allah bless you if you want repentance. But don't impose such values on me. Imagine choosing your race. How ridiculous is that? I remember when, you know, like two decades ago when we'd fill out a form, an application, or let's say you were taking the SAT, ACT, there was always this interesting box about race. The Pacific Islander. I always wondered, you know, that's very exotic. Where are they from? Imagine you wake up one day, I'm a Pacific Islander. Prove me wrong. Yalla, show me in my DNA where it doesn't say that I'm a Pacific Islander. Prove me wrong. This argument that they make is not an acceptable argument. That this is socially constructed. This is the system that Allah gave us. Allah created men and women. And He gave us laws that apply to men and women. You want to tamper with that? Go and tamper with that. It's between you and God. Don't impose it on me. Don't bully me to accept it. Don't threaten me and my children to accept that. You accept whatever you want. You're free in this dunya. But do not impose that on my family, on my children and confuse them. You know what's really striking about this gender fluidity discussion, the gender identity, and especially with gender conversion therapy that's being imposed on children. Children today in many states like New York, a child, a 15-year-old child, a 13-year-old child, a teenager, right? They're not even children, they're teenagers. In New York, you cannot get a tattoo if you're under 18. Recently, a mother in New York was convicted because she took her 10-year-old son and she got a tattoo for him. She got convicted, the tattoo artist got convicted too. And the American Pediatric Association supported that. Yes, this is a child. What are you doing? You can't put a needle on a child. They're not 18 yet. Let them be 18. Then they could decide for themselves. Subhanallah. The same pediatric association that supports this tells you, but if the child feels trapped in the wrong body, go and mutilate their body and get a sex change, a gender change. And in some states, without parental consent. There are some states, a 13-year-old child can go to a clinic and have their gender reassigned. Mom and dad have no clue. Mom and dad did not even authorize that. Who gave you the right to do that to my child? You want to do it to your child? Don't. I encourage you not to. But that's your jurisdiction. But to enforce that on me and my children, on what basis do you do that? What are the consequences of that? You know what happens to a lot of these children? My dear brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you to take my word. You go and research this online. See what happens after gender conversion. They don't tell you that. These lobbies, they don't tell you what happens afterwards. They act like they're heroes 
We save these kids trapped in the wrong bodies who are depressed and suicidal and they have psychological issues. And like heroes, we save the day. Did you? What happens next? Can I see the second scene? Don't show me the first scene. Let me see the second scene. I need to know. Today there are many Muslims who support this. I'm being very honest with you. And let me say this with openness, my dear brothers and sisters. I'm speaking to you as a brother. I'm not here to lecture you. I'm here to speak to you as a brother. Half of you, not you here in the hall, but half of the Muslim communities, half of you on social media, you're supporting this. I'm being very honest with you. Yes, in the name of freedom, I support this. I'll stand with you. I'll side with you. I'll align with you. Before you align yourself with something, just study the psychological consequences. If today I align with something and it has negative consequences, I ruin someone's life, on the day of judgment, I am responsible before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at the scientific studies. Let's not talk religion right now. Just look at the scientific studies. Do you know many children who go through gender conversion therapy? Many of them, they end up worse. With worse depression, and some of them become suicidal. You know, there are some teenagers who are suing the clinics that changed their gender. Recently in California, a girl by the name of Layla Jane, at age 12, she went to a clinic, and they gave her puberty blockers, testosterone. They cut up her body. They mutilated her body. Then later she realized this was the worst decision in her life. She says, I went through hell when they did that. When they put all that testosterone in my body. I went through hell. Now she's going to sue that clinic. She told them, I was 12 for God's sake. What do I know about gender conversion? I don't know the consequences of this. Yes, I told you to do it. But why did you listen to me? Who told you to listen to me? I'm 12. I don't know any better. I was told that this is going to solve your problems. I felt trapped in the wrong body. Now I know this was wrong. I was going through a phase. You know, there are so many detransitioners right now in the U.S. And some of them are going to sue those clinics. When you support that and somebody's life is ruined, we're responsible before Allah. Be careful what you support in society, my dear brothers and sisters. But yes, again, I stress this point that we're not here to dehumanize anyone. But I need to have my moral grounds. And no one can impose that on me. And we need to take action. The lady that I told you about in Canada, last month in June, when her child was interrogated at school, they called, they called the school, called the police on her. They called the social services on her. They threatened her. What are you doing? Why are you, you know, imposing this on your child? Your child has to support this in school. Has to wear the gay flag. It's mandatory for your child to do that. And I know this is happening to some of you and many people around the country. We have to take action. You know what this lady did? She called the lawyer. She told the lawyer, I'm a citizen, I have rights. My child willingly rejected that. I didn't impose on my child. The lawyers took action. They went to the school. They forced the school to apologize. And I'm asking you tonight, my dear brothers and sisters, I see lawyers in front of me. We have lawyers in the community, alhamdulillah. 
Tonight, in the name of Imam Hussein, I ask you to form a committee where you defend our families who are being forced to accept this. There are, they are after us. They will sue us. Tomorrow, if you say, no, I don't accept this. I'm not going to attend this event that supports this lifestyle. They're after you. They'll make you pay a heavy price. So we need to be prepared. You have a constitutional right in this country. Use your rights. We need a group of lawyers to defend us, my dear brothers and sisters. I call on the lawyers of this community to be prepared. Anytime a school does that, a business does that, peacefully, in a civilized way, go make the case. No, you can't force me to accept that. You have your moral values, fine. That's okay. But I don't need to embrace that. There's consequences if I embrace that. I don't want to be a part of that. This is our moral obligation, my dear brothers and sisters. At the end of the day, Imam Hussein salam, he rose to bring reform to our societies. To restore the moral compass in our lives. If we go at this pace, only Allah knows what will happen to our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Be confident. And we don't have a fight with anyone, my dear brothers and sisters. We don't even judge them. We judge the action. A sin, yes, we say the sin is wrong. But we don't even judge the people. We don't even act like we're better than them. You know the beauty of the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, the beauty of Islam, is that even if there's someone who's committing a sin in society, don't judge them and say, I'm better than them. We don't even do that. A man comes to Imam al-Sadiq He says, there's a person who commits sins, lives a sinful lifestyle. I'm a mu'min, I don't live that lifestyle. Can't I at least say I'm better than this person? The Imam says, no. Don't compare yourself. He told him, why? I don't understand, how does this work? The Imam told him, how do you know this person one day will not repent and Allah will forgive him all his sins and one day, God forbid, maybe you'll deviate. Do you have such guarantee? Then the Imam gives him the example of the sorcerers, the magicians at the time of Musa. The Imam told him those sorcerers, the magicians who did magic, they lived an entire life of sin, idol worship, not worshiping God. The last day of their lives, when they saw the miracle of Prophet Musa, they repented. If the Pharaoh killed them, they all went to heaven. Last day of their lives. You don't know the fate of people. Never judge anyone. In fact, Imam Hussain, whom we are commemorating, one of the most beautiful statements he said is the following. One of the most beautiful statements. The Imam says, you know what true adab is? Adab is to be mannered. To have proper etiquette before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Imam says, you know what true adab is? The Imam says, it means not to leave your house. Except when you go outside and you see people. Except that you see everyone as being potentially better than you. The imam says, this is the adab of a mu'min. Everyone out there I see in society, I say maybe they're better than me. How do I know? Why should I judge them? We're not having this discussion to judge anyone. We're not having this discussion to fight with anyone, to put a fight with anyone. We're having this discussion to hold on to our moral grounds and not let anyone take that from us. And we have to work as a community to achieve that. It's difficult, it's very challenging, but it's possible. And again, this is not political. 
We're not siding with any party here. This is not a political discussion. It's a moral discussion that we hold on to. Because that's the message of Imam Hussein He came to reform our souls, ourselves, our lives, and, and our societies. That's the beauty of the majalis of Abi Abdullah al-Hussein. When you come to the majlis of Imam Hussein, truly your heart transforms. We're all sinful. We all need the forgiveness of Allah and we ask Allah to forgive us. We're all sinful. Who isn't? Who here doesn't have a sin? But Imam Hussein is here to give us hope. Never lose hope. Allah will give you another chance. Just like Allah gave Hur another chance. The sin Hur committed, none of you have committed. Believe me. He literally stopped Imam Hussein from going to Kufa. He put terror in the hearts of the children of Imam Hussein. Can you imagine what kind of sin is that? Imam Hussein is the Imam of your time. But he came with sincerity on the last day of his life, the last hour of his life. Aba Abdullah, I regret it. I regret it. I really want to repent. I'll fix it. Will you accept me? Imagine your daughters have been terrorized. Can you accept that? The Imam salam told him, yes, if you repent, Allah will accept your forgiveness. Abu Abdullah, tonight we have come to your majlis. We all have our sins, but we ask Allah to forgive us on this evening. And to give us another chance. We will be good, O Abu Abdullah. Because we have an Imam like you. Because we don't want to disappoint an Imam like you. Don't sin, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't avoid sinning because... You fear hell and fear punishment. That's one stage. When you have an imam like Imam Hussein who sacrificed like him. He sacrificed for your guidance. Why should you sin? Why? I feel ashamed before my imam to disappoint him when he had to go through all those trials on the day of Ashura. The majlis of Imam Hussein is about the purification of the heart. It's about cleansing this heart from sins. It's about al-qalb al-salim. On the day of judgment, your biggest capital, your biggest asset is to go to Allah with al-qalb al-salim, with a pure heart. There is time. Regardless of what you've done in your life, you can start fresh right now. Because you have the most merciful Lord and the best imam, the best guide. You know Imam Ali salam. Every night when he was in Kufa, in Masjid al-Kufa, in his mihrab where he'd pray, every night your imam would cry. He would remember the day of judgment. Allah is merciful, but the path is not easy. Life is serious, the day of judgment is serious. Imam Ali salam, every single night he would cry. He would ask Allah for safety. Oh Allah, give me safety on that day. Let's hear these words coming directly from your imam. What did Imam salam ask for every single night? He would say this and he would cry. Allahumma inni as'aluka al-aman. Oh Allah, I ask you for safety, for aman. Why ya amir al-mu'mineen? For what? For which day? Allahumma inni as'aluka al-aman 
يوم لا ينفع مال ولا بنون. On that day, nothing will help you. No children, no wealth, no money, no power. Nothing's going to help you. Except what? One thing. What is it? Allah says in the Holy Quran. إلا منت الله بقلب سليم. Except if you go to Allah with a pure heart, purify the heart from sins. That is your best asset on the day of judgment. وأسألك الأمان يوم يعض الظالم على يديه. يقول يا ليتني اتخذت مع الرسول سبيلا. Oh Allah, give me safety on that day when those who failed their test will bite at their hands. I wish I would have followed the path. I wish I would not have befriended those people who distracted me from the akhirah. I wish. But it's okay, now you have the chance. It's still not the day of judgment. We can all be saved. وأسألك الأمان يوم يفر المرء من أخيه وأمه لكل منهم يغني والله give me safety on that day when I'll run away from my father, from my mother, from my brother, from my spouse, everyone's busy, it's the day of judgment. Oh Allah, you have mercy on me on that day. You give me amnesty, you give me salvation on that day. Then the Imam السلام, reminds us to never lose hope from Allah. Turn to your master. Mawlai ya Mawlai, anta al-mawla wa ana al-ab. وَهَلْ يَرْحَمُ الْعَبْدَ إِلَّا الْمَوْلَى Oh Allah, you're the master and I'm the slave. And who other than the master can have mercy on the slave? مَوْلَايَ يَا مَوْلَايَ أَنْتَ الْخَالِقُ وَأَنَا الْمَخْلُوقُ وَهَلْ يَرْحَمُ الْخَامَخْلُوقَ إِلَّا الْخَالِقُ Oh Allah, you are the creator, I'm the created. Who other than you, the creator, can have mercy on me? Mawlaya ya Mawlai, anta al-qawiyu wa ana al-da'if. Wa hal yarhamu al-da'if illa al-qawiyu. Oh Allah, you're the strong and I'm the miserably weak. And who other than you can have mercy on me? مولاي يا مولاي أنت الجواد وأنا البخيل وهل يرحم البخيل إلا الجواد والله you're the generous you're the one who's given me everything and I am the cheap one I am the stingy one I'm the one who doesn't give so you have mercy on me oh Allah this is the majlis of Aba Abdullah al Hussein the Imam he rose to reform our hearts and to purify our hearts. Let's honor him by purifying our hearts. You know, Imam Hussein salam, he sacrificed the safety of his own family, of his own daughters for us, my dear brothers and sisters. So he can be a source of guidance for us. For those of you who are fathers, nothing is more difficult in your family life than to see your daughters not in safety. Nothing is more difficult than that. 
When Imam Hussein arrived Karbala, he knew very well that his own daughters would be attacked. His own daughters would be harassed. Imam Hussein had a young daughter by the name of Fatima Suhra, Fatima the Young. Hamid ibn Muslim, who was a journalist attending Karbala to document what happens, he says after Imam Hussein was killed in Karbala, after the tents were set to fire, I saw a little girl and her clothes were burning. I came, I approached her and I helped her put out the fire. She looked at me, she told me, Ya Shaykh, Anta lana am alayna. Man, are you with us or against us? I told her, I'm not with you, I'm not against you, I'm just here observing. Then I asked her, who are you? Introduce yourself, little girl. She told me, Ya Shaykh, Al-Quran. She told him, have you read the Quran? I'm surprised a young girl, a three-year-old girl is telling me about Quran. Yes, I've read the Quran. Why? She told him, oh man, have you read this verse? <laughs> have you read the verse that states, as for the orphan, don't hurt the orphan. Don't disturb the orphan. Don't harass the orphan. Have you read this verse? I told her, yes, I've read this verse. Why? She told me, Oh man, I am the orphan daughter of Hussein. He says, I could see the thirst on her face and her body, on her withered lips. I told her, come, let me take you to the river, take some water. He says, when we got to the river, she took some water. He says, something surprised me. She did not drink the water. She told, she had a question for me. She told me, oh man, I need to ask you a question, a very pressing question before I drink the water. When my father Hussein farewelled me for the last time, his lips were withered. <laughs> Just tell me, did they get, give him some water before they killed him? I told her, unfortunately, no, they slaughtered him thirsty. <laughs> he said, she spilled the water. She said, I will not drink water when my father Hussein died thirsty. He said, she was, she was perishing. So I took her to her aunt Zainab and Zainab managed to give her some water. This is the daughter of Imam Hussein. And later that day, an evil man, he would come to those girls and he pulled the earrings from them, loot them, and the blood would be flowing from under their scarves. Ya Allah, what happened in Karbala? But Imam Hussein made that sacrifice to be a source of guidance. Let's honor him. And then I leave you with the final scene with Ruqayya. The name Ruqayya breaks the heart. After all that she witnessed, she's now in Sham in Damascus. She misses her father dearly. Yazid had the family of Imam Hussein. When they arrived in Damascus, he had them stay in a place of ruins, not a proper place that you can stay in. One night, Ruqayya sees her father Hussein in her dream. She misses her father dearly. She wakes up, she's crying. I want my father Hussein. I can't take the separation anymore. Please, I want my father. Zainab breaks into tears. All the women and children in that tent area, those ruins, they broke into tears. Yazid, 
this evil dictator, he was in his palace trying to get some rest. He heard the commotion and the cries. He asked his guards, what's happening? What's this commotion? They told him it's not a big deal. One of the daughters of Hussein saw her father in her dream. She misses him now. She's crying and everyone is crying for that. Look at the ruthless heart of this evil man. He told them, then what are you waiting for? They told him, what do you mean? What do you want us to do? He told them, go take the severed head of Hussein and present it to her. Allahu Akbar. How much can the heart of a three-year-old handle? Suddenly, they bring a tray. She's surprised. What is this tray? I asked for no tray. They told her, Ruqayya, this is what you want. <laughs> this is what you miss. Uncover the tray. Remove the cover. Lady Ruqayya approaches the tray. Oh, believers, she removes the cover. She sees the severed head of her father, Hussein. Aywa she collapsed on the head of Imam Hussein. She started to speak to the head of Hussein. <laughs> Father, who's the one who orphaned me at such an age? Father Hussein, who's the one who stained your beard with blood? She began to say, Aba, Aba, until she calmed down. The women and children thought she was exhausted. It was time to rest. When Imam Zain al-Abidin told his aunt Zainab, Zainab, lift her from that of my father. I swear by Allah, she departed this dunya. We've lost Ruqayya. Um Kulthum, the sister of Zainab, the aunt of Ruqayya, she brings a lady to wash her and prepare her for burial. Many of you have gone to her shrine in Syria, the shrine of Lady Ruqayya, also known as Sakina. She brought a lady to wash her. The lady started to wash her, but she stopped. She told Um Kulthum, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not continuing. Why, please? This girl has a disease. Look at her body. It's black. I'm not going to wash her. Um Kulthum said, no, I swear by Allah, she has no disease. I'll tell you the black marks on our way from Karbala to Damascus. Whenever she would cry for her father, the men would beat her with the back of their spears. Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi قتل الحسین و به کربلا عطشانا قال مولانا الرضا و روا ابن الشبیب این جدی الحسین ما تعطشانا Please get up, stand in honor of the Imam.
Everybody loud. Wa Hussein ah, Wa Hussein Wa Hussein Wa Hussein Wa Hussein Wa Hussein Wa Hussein The destiny of the lovers has fell under this name. The world will come to know the father of Mahdi Hussein. He will return with the sword of Ali in his hand. He will return showing us that truth will always stand. He will return revenge for Hussein. He will demand Mawlana Yabn al-Haydar Mawlana Yabn al-Haydar Mawlana Everyone together, Yabna al Haydar Maulana, Yabna al Haydar Maulana. The pathway to success is from the son of Ali. The pathway to success is from the son of Ali. Without you, we're distressed. Labbaika, ya Mahdi. Labbaika, ya Mahdi. You will return. The world will see truth prevail. You will return. This time the plans of Yazid will fail. You will return. Standing in front and we will trail. Maulana, Yabn al-Haydar. Maulana, Yabn al-Haydar. Maulana. Today's Friday, everybody together. Maulana. Yabn al-Haydar, Maulana. Yabn al-Haydar, Maulana. Yabn al-Haydar, the Aza of Hussein. The Aza of Hussein brought us grief, brought us pain, remembering our Imam until Qiyamah will remain. I die to think how Zainab saw your head and survived. I die to think they cut your head off while you were alive. I die to think from water even Asghar was deprived. Hussein Mola, 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 Mola, Hussein Mola, Hussein Mola, Hussein Mola, Hussein Mola, 
حسین مولا مولا حسین مولا ابو فاضل 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 عباس ابو فاضل ابو فاضل ابو فاضل عباس ابو فاضل ابو فاضل اللهم عجل وليك الفرج صلى الله عليك يا مظلوم يا ابا عبد الله وسيعلم الذين ظلموا اي منقلب ينقلبون صلى الله على محمد وال محمد